A Republican lawmaker wants to change the name of Lawmaker's Office Building. Hear why. Welcome to Grand Divisions. I'm Joel Lieber. And I'm Natalie Allison. This is the week of December 16th. Uh, We've got a lot of ground to cover, as always. But uh, first, we wanted to get into uh, sort of a a story that you, uh, Natalie, had been reporting last week related to uh, Jeremy Faison, Republican lawmaker uh, and House Republican Caucus uh, uh, leader, I guess, chairman, um, and the bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest. So tell people what's the latest. Yeah, which we'll touch on some in our interview with Rob. Representative Ron Gant coming up, but um, it was its own story um, last week as well. So uh, Jeremy Faison, he um, he was elected caucus chair this summer when he replaced Cameron Sexton in that role. Um, but it it kind of started when he had an interview with Chris Bungard um, over a week ago. It was sort of I guess a rundown, a preview of what to expect from next session, and and Chris Bungard had asked him um, about you know, his stance on the bus and Jeremy Faison came out and said, yeah, he, he thinks it should be removed now. And then I followed up last week and did an interview with him, um, talking to him for a while about, about why. And, um, he explained to me how he used to be opposed to removing it, that he had said, you know, this is history. We don't want to touch it. And over the last two years, he has, um, done his own research about forest, some of which he was challenged to do by uh, G.A. Hardaway. He is a black lawmaker from Memphis. Um, and he had also, Jeremy Faison said he had also had conversations with other black colleagues at the legislature. Um, so taking into account the the feelings that they have um, of, of hurt and pain at this this bust of a, a former um, Ku Klux Klan grand wizard and, and Confederate general, one-time slave trader, um, the the leader of of what is called the Fort Pillow Massacre, in which um, an estimated 300 or so mostly black surrendered Union troops were, were ordered to be killed in West Tennessee during the Civil War. Um, taking all of those things into account, he's saying, you know, why do we have this man still in a place of honor in the Capitol? Um, it's it's time to come down. Faison said, out of the eight alcoves with busts in the Capitol, seven are white men. Uh, we need to get more women in there. We should have people of color. Um, he also made a comment, uh, why don't we just put, or why can't we put someone like Dolly Parton, um, which was not him suggesting that we do that, which some national media since them ha- have kind of taken and ran with. Uh, not only have they taken and ran with, but yesterday I was working a, uh, a breaking news weekend shift, got a call from Dolly Parton's America podcast wanting to interview Jeremy Faison. So it certainly uh, ruffled some feathers yeah. and, and caused some uh, interest from outside. But otherwise, this issue, uh, certainly with Faison's addition uh, and, and his latest weighing in uh, is not going away anytime soon. Right. And he he is clearly a member of House Republican leadership. Last week, he was joined by a second member, low-level member of House Republican leadership, Brandon Ogles. He's the vice chair to Jeremy being the chair, uh, who also said, yes, I think it's time to take the bus down. Um, he, he said he also was concerned about some of his African-American colleagues um, in making that decision. You know, two people, I don't know, maybe maybe more Republicans will, will jump in. Certainly, um, I, I think it's safe to say the majority of uh, Democrats um, in the legislature would say it should be removed. Um, whether they'll get some kind of momentum um, on 
on that effort. I don't, I don't know. We'll see. But um, it's it's still ongoing. The, the protests will continue happening this session um, with or without context being added, which is, you know, what um, I think probably both the House and Senate speakers would be most in favor of. And brief side note, this week, uh, the uh, Capitol Commission, which is normally in charge of discussing such things, is scheduled to meet, but they are meeting for an unrelated purpose. Uh, and Governor Bill Lee previously said that they should meet uh, to discuss the the forest bus. So uh, again, a meeting will occur, but it will not be about this. And yet again, the can will be kicked down the road. And, and protesters have have vowed to show up to that Capitol Commission meeting. Yep. And um, a, a couple pastors have requested to speak during that meeting about the bust. Uh, unclear whether they will be permitted to do that. Unclear what you know what the protesters will do. Maybe there will just be a handful. Maybe there there will be more. Um, but but the governor still has not called that meeting to discuss the bust with the Capitol Commission as he uh, said he would. So that that's something we we've continued to ask when he's going to do that. He he said last week when I asked him about it at an avail that it would likely be uh, within the next few months. And I asked him, you know, why a few months, and um, he 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 didn't really have an explanation. But he said that um, his recommendation to the Capitol Commission would be to um, add historical context to the bust. This week on the podcast, we have Representative Ron Gant. He is the Assistant Majority Leader for the House Republican Caucus. Thanks for coming on. Good. Good to be with you. Uh, looking forward to the discussion. Yeah. So uh, I guess we'll start by saying um, one of my favorite moments of session this past year was when Bo Mitchell shouted across the House chamber, don't do it, Ron, <laughs> uh, when the when the voucher vote board was being held open. We still talk about that in the press room quite regularly. Uh, we enjoyed that moment. So Yeah, that was an interesting moment for sure <laughs> for a lot of us. <laughs> Uh, to, to the point where sometimes we refer to you as Don't Do It Ron in, in the press room. Um, Normally people don't hear their nicknames. <laughs> I, I just thought I would share. It, you know, it was screamed across a, a public room. So, you know, anyone anyone could have been aware of it. Um, what we are particularly interested in talking to you about this week is your initiative, your attempt to change the name of the state legislative office building. Uh, it is currently named the Cordell Hull uh, state office building that is after um, a, a Democrat who represented Tennessee and in Congress uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives and Senate for a combined 30 years. Uh, he was later the the country's Secretary of State, the longest serving one, I think about 11 years. Um, he was um, appointed by FDR, and then he also helped establish the United Nations. He, he got a Nobel Peace Prize for that in 1945. Um, and you you want to change the name of the building to the Winfield Dunn Building, which is the former Tennessee governor. He served for, for one term during, what, 71 to 75, I believe. Correct. Um, he is 92 years old now. Correct. Still alive. Um, and that the announcement of, of that effort has been met with some criticism and certainly some support by others. So let's start off with why. Why do you want to do that? Well, Natalie, let's um, first let's kind of set the uh, the mode of the conversation in a certain context. That building that we now call Cordell Hall Building was slated to be torn down. Uh, it was the Republicans, uh, the governor, Governor Haslam and his administration and the Republicans got together to renovate the building and not tear it down. Uh, it was more fitting to be 
renovated than than torn down. So with that in mind, um, you know, Governor Winfield Dunn has been a mentor to a lot of people across this state uh, from the time he was governor to the time he is uh, serving us uh, in the private sector now. You know, he's been one that I've looked up to growing up, uh, and I think a lot of people have looked to Governor Dunn, his his mentorship that he's put forth, his demeanor, his character. Uh, a lot of people look to his type of play in politics. He reached across the party lines. He worked with Democrats. Obviously, he had to work with Democrats because when he was governor, he had a Democratic-controlled General Assembly, and he figured out ways to work with the Democrats to get some major accomplishments, um, you know, done. And, and just to be clear, for readers that don't know him, uh, he was the first Republican governor in something like 50-some-odd 50 50 years. years. Yeah, yes. that's right. Uh, and he, uh, you know, again, he only served one term, but that was because there were term limits at the time that limited you to one term con- consecutively. You could come back and run again, but you would have to sit it out uh, for one election. Right. That's correct. So, so you, you know, you are you're a big fan of Winfield Dunn. You have been um, from the time you were younger. Um, why though? Why? change the name of the building? Why not name some kind of new building after him or a building that hasn't been named or... Or a um, street, or, you know. Yeah, or something else. Why, I guess the question right now is, why remove Cordell Hull, someone who um, certainly was an important historical character, figure, right. not not a character, a figure in Tennessee. Um, why why take his name off of the building? That's a, that's a very good question. Uh, uh, the legislative office building in which we work is obviously part of... Um, something that Governor Dunn was heavily involved in with the legislature. And if we were to take another building and try to rename it, it really would not be as fitting as where we call home, our legislative uh, building where we, you know, pass laws out of committee and get it up to the uh, Capitol. So in my opinion, it's more fitting to rename our legislative office building after uh, Winfield Dunn. Before we came on air, you were kind of talking about the bill hasn't even been filed yet. Uh, you're still drafting it. What do you kind of see as the the main points? Do you think that this is, you know, as you as you write this legislation, do you think it's going to have to go through uh, the process as many other historical, you know, uh, name changes would, like the Capitol Commission, uh, the Building Commission, and maybe not the Capitol because it's technically historical not commission. the, Cap- the historical, historical Commission. Historical Commission, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and we're going to obviously – follow uh, what the majority of um, Tennesseans want. I mean, we're not going to try to circumvent the process. But I think that the historical commission is more geared towards outside groups being able to have a voice to come in and say, hey, here's a process that we go through. Uh, I'm in the legislature, and if we take it through the legislative process Every citizen across this state has an elected official that represents them at the Capitol. So everybody will have a voice in whether or not they would like to name the Cordell Hall building after uh, Winfield Dunn or change the name, rather, to Winfield Dunn. So we're not, we're not circumventing any process. And if you look at it from going to the Historical Commission, there's only a few set people that would make that decision. If you go through the legislative process, every representative and every senator that represents every citizen across this state 
can voice their opinion on this. So I want to make sure I understand this because uh, in theory, what you're saying means that if somebody wanted to rename um, Forest Hall at MTSU, they could just get their lawmaker to sponsor a bill who would then, you know, hopefully in their mind, get it approved. And that would ultimately require it to be changed. Is that right? Well, I think that, uh, of course, you know that anybody can can introduce any kind of legislation, mm-hmm. whatever they will. Uh, now, whether that gets out of committee, uh, that's another story. So, I mean, this process uh, will obviously invoke a lot of discussion, uh, and it may be the a model for how things are done in the future. Um, but this gives me an opportunity, and I think it gives many Republicans and Democrats, if they want to join in, in honoring a good man that Democrats worked with when he was governor. Republicans obviously worked with him. I mean, this is an opportunity to set politics aside and say, okay, we're not going to focus on Republican or Democrat on this. We're going to honor a good elder statesman that is still alive here in Tennessee. He's 92 years old. He's done a lot of good for Tennessee. And what better way than to take our legislative office building and name it after a man that has meant so much to a lot of people across this uh, entire state. And one of the things that he did when he first came into office was that, you know, when you came into Tennessee back in the 70s, you know, it said, welcome to the three grand divisions. Well, what did Governor Dunn do? He changed him and said, welcome to the great state of Tennessee, which was his his mentality of bringing people together. We're no longer going to have divisions. Have you uh, spoken to to former Governor Dunn about this? I have, and he's uh, he says, Ron, uh, his words were, "I'm I'm humbled," and that's just his uh, his mentality is that he um, he doesn't seek any recognition at all. This is something that strictly comes from me and uh, and other people, as you'll see as we go through the process. So he he's a man that I think has always exempt exemplified a humble nature in politics as well as outside of politics. Why not uh, someone like Lamar Alexander? If we're, if we're talking about elder statesmen here in the state, um, he, he obviously has, has served longer in office than, than Winfield Dunn is. Why, why not someone like that? Or you could, you know, say Howard Baker or, yeah, or Howard a, Baker. a handful of other. Right. Well, those are obviously great uh, Tennesseans. Uh, Lamar Alexander has served our state and our nation very well. Uh, as well as Howard Baker. Uh, You know, my relationship with Winfield Dunn goes back to me growing up, and he's a West Tennessean. Uh, But he never really made it about just West Tennessee. He reached across Middle and East Tennessee. Otherwise, he would have never been elected governor because he had to win over East Tennessee and Middle Tennessee to uh, win the governorship back in uh, the 70s. But, uh, But I will say that Governor Dunn is somebody that I think is respected by East Tennessee, Middle, and West Tennessee. Do you think you're going to run into any any East-West Tennessee beef over this? With, uh, from what I understand, you know, some folks in, in Upper East feeling slighted over uh, the issue with the medical school not getting put there, um, and and Governor Dunn playing some kind of role in that. Ha- have you heard from any Upper East colleagues of yours about whether they would support? This change? Well, I think there's always going to be any of us in elected office. We're going to make votes that are going to obviously be something that 
affected somebody across this state. And I'm sure you can take a handful of issues or initiatives that Governor Dunn worked on that if you ask uh, state representatives back during that time, did they agree with him? Probably not on some certain certain issues, but uh, I think you really can't look at it in that context. I mean, you've got to look at the overall picture of um, what he has done for the state of Tennessee, and and there's always going to be um, negatives about any of us in public service. I mean, we're we are um, just like the average uh, you know public out there. You know, we're going to try to seek out you know public opinion in our districts. Uh, across the state. That's what everybody does as a state representative and senator uh, is seek out their district's opinion on things. And, and sometimes, you know, you got to make decisions that's just obviously going to, you know, everybody's not going to be agreeable to. Do, do you think doing something like this, changing the name of historical building, is going to open up the door for, um, you know, for, for more momentum on removing the bust of forest or other controversial topics that center around uh, preserving history versus changing what has been there? You know, I, I think that is, is a separate issue at this point. And obviously, I mean, you're going to have people try to tie the two together. You know, all I'm doing is trying to honor a great man that served our state very well. You know, the Capitol Commission, I think, has jurisdiction over that since the bust is located in the uh, Capitol. Uh, I think the governor has uh, asked them to look into that. So at this point, I'm just going to let that, you know, kind of um, ride the course that it's on. And at some point, you know, I'm sure we'll make comments in the future about that. What, as of right now, what is your position on removing the bust? Well, I, th- I think the, the opportunity we've got is to obviously look at both sides of the issue. And me as a state representative, uh, that's what I've got to do. I've got to look at both sides of this issue and give a concerted effort to listen to both sides and be open-minded uh, and listen to the debate and then ultimately, you know, voice uh, opinion or make a decision. That sounds like you, you don't have one currently, though. You know, you know, obviously, you know, focus, as I've been focusing on my district in the last uh, several weeks, uh, you know, this has been something that's not been at the forefront. Obviously, in my district, we've been focused on economic and community development issues. I've got two counties that are on the uh, most distressed economic list put out uh, by ECD, and we've been working on, working on those issues, and this is something that just hasn't been at the forefront. But I'm sure it's Sounds like it's going to be something that we discuss in the future here. As far as uh, the rest of the session, this is just one bill that you plan on introducing. Do you have any other ideas of, of legislation that you, you plan on, you know, sponsoring this year or introducing yourself? Well, we've got uh, several bills that are going to be um, dealing with several issues. Um, you know, economic and community development is probably the biggest thing in my district right now since I have these two counties, Hardeman and uh, McNary County. And I've told my district, I said, you know, one of my main objectives is before I get ready to call it quits as your state representative, I hope to get you guys off this list. And we're currently working with the governor's administration on different initiatives that will obviously, um, you know, help some of these distressed counties by giving them priority, you know, for different initiatives that would help. So, um, 
So that's one, you know, initiative that we're going to be working on. Now, whether that translates into legislation that I carry or the governor uh, puts in his package, you know, we're still working through those, those issues. And, and as you know, the assistant majority leader carries the uh, governor's uh, legislation in the House with the majority leader. And we're going to be focused on that as well. Another bill that we've got is um, eliminating the tax on silver and gold that an individual may buy uh, as an investment. And this would eliminate the uh, sales tax you know, on that purchase as an investment, it's just like a mutual fund mm-hmm. or something like that. It's just a simple bill that would eliminate the uh, tax that you'd pay on that. We hear that just a simple bill very often. Yeah. <laughs> just a housekeeping bill. Well, we, we try to create that narrative for a reason, but uh, as you know, things do get complicated yeah. and we have a lot of uh, inter- interesting discussions on Capitol Hill, but that's part of the process. So there has been a bill filed um, to essentially re- repeal ESAs. Um, what do you think about that? Do you, do you support that, that effort? I have not read the legislation and we'll be reading it uh, – in the near future, and uh, we'll make a decision on that. Um, you haven't read that particular bill, and that, that particular bill is it's very short and straightforward. But generally speaking, do you um, do you support the idea of trying to do something to undo the the ESA bill uh, this coming session? I have not put an effort into undo it. No, uh, n- nor did I support the legislation from the very beginning. Uh, as the assistant majority leader, that was one bill that I had told uh, Governor Lee that I would not be caring for him in the General Assembly. Uh, but all of his other other legislation we did carry, but that was the one bill from the very beginning back in January of this year that I said I would not be sponsoring or caring. And you certainly weren't the only member of leadership who was opposed to that bill. Uh, current House Speaker Cameron Sexton was, was also opposed to school vouchers and um, – maybe arguably didn't receive as much public criticism from leadership as you did for for that decision. Um, he definitely wasn't paraded up to the front of the chamber on the, the day of the voucher vote. What was that day like for you? Well, it was uh, it was a little bit... It looked bit, like an awful uh, day for you. You looked like you were in distress. We, we had better days. <laughs> let's, let's just say that. Uh, you know, Speaker Casta was obviously... Uh, very interested in getting the bill passed, uh, and uh, he um, was very um, uh, adamant about uh, getting the bill passed, and uh, he was trying to seek out that one last vote uh, to get it passed, and um, uh, ultimately, you know, uh, I respectfully had to decline, you know, I just had to keep my word to my district, because if I were to go back and to my district and even to the governor back in January when I said I can't sponsor or vote for this legislation, you know, how would I be perceived back in my district uh, when we've sent countless emails out to our constituents, our school board members saying that we were going to be, you know, opposed to it? It just uh, would not give me very much credibility back home, that's for sure. Uh, Just to be clear, there hasn't been, it sounds like, among leadership right now, uh, any significant discussion about that legislation, the repeal legislation, has there? 
No, not to my knowledge. Uh, uh, not with me anyway. Oh, and one other thing, I think you had started on this this past session, but um, you were spearheading an effort to raise the legal age to smoke tobacco. Um, where is that, and what are you planning on doing with that this well, coming session? And what and what happened with it last session? Well, it uh, currently it is setting in full finance, and obviously it has a uh, due to repealing the tax on the. Um, uh, the nature of raising the age limit to 21 obviously reduces the the tax that comes into the state of Tennessee. And by doing that, which um, we all know, fiscal notes appear on legislation uh, whenever you're trying to pass that, and it has a $7 million approximate um, fiscal note to it. So we've parked it in um, full finance last year, and that's where it currently sets. So we are in somewhat of some negotiations with the administration on how to um, uh, replace those funding dollars so that it um, does hopefully get passed uh, because the nature of the legislation obviously is to curtail underage um, or lower, uh, raise the uh, limit uh, from smoking to 21, which puts it at all the other adult products, um, alcohol and, and so forth. And there is no other unintended consequences with our bill. Uh, the uh, convenience stores and other ways of uh, purchasing uh, the smoking products, and it also includes uh, vapor products as well. Uh, those sales tax dollars obviously are depleted. You know, they go away uh, because you're curtailing the purchase of that from uh, under 21. So hopefully we, we can work out something with the administration to, um, you know, that hopefully we can put that in the governor's budget uh, where it takes care of that and we can get this passed. And and being a, a leader in the party of, of small government, how do you get around this idea of, you know, legislating what uh, full adults are doing? Uh, certainly people who say the, the drinking age should be lowered would argue, oh, you can serve in the military, you can get married, you can register to vote um, on on you know, our elected officials who are making these laws. So how do you um, how do you defend your stance on this, maybe to other conservatives even, who would say, you know, the government shouldn't be telling 18-year-olds whether they can smoke? Well, we obviously know we have a problem. And, um, you know, this is not a um, silver bullet that obviously is going to fi- be a fix-all to this um, crisis that we have with vaping and uh and underage uh, smoking that obviously leads to cancer, heart disease, and so forth. And and I am not trying to dictate to anybody. I mean, all this is doing is just raising the age limit to 21, as I mentioned, you know, with all the other adult products. And vaping uh, is part of this legislation. So I think that if you look at it from a common sense approach, it just makes sense. It was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, you, I feel like you, you know, you are not someone who's um, constantly talking to media during session, and you keep to yourself. But it is really fascinating hearing uh, what all you've been doing, and um, certainly a little bit of insight into uh, the ESA vote day. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking with us. We will uh, continue to follow what happens with the Winfield Dunn building rename and whether that occurs. Um, and and we'll we'll let everyone know what happens. All right, it's great to be with you guys. Thank you.
Now it's time for this week's notebook dump. The Tennessean found that the Department of Human Services has largely been using state funds for a program that it said was was one of the primary uses of its TANF block grant. Uh, we analyzed their contracts that they award to nonprofits through this program and found that they were um, in more than two-thirds of the cases actually using state money instead of federal grant money. They have since said they are changing how they use those and they will no longer be using state money to fund those grants. And other news from the Department of Human Services, the state agency says that an estimated 2,500 people could be affected by changes in uh, work requirements for the SNAP food program. Uh, those changes are being implemented by the federal government and could affect uh, a couple thousand people here in Tennessee currently living in distressed counties that have been allowed to have their work requirements for SNAP waived. And finally, on Monday, driver's license facilities throughout Tennessee underwent a power or a system-wide outage, preventing uh, all facilities from issuing new licenses and any other activity. Uh, it is unclear as of this recording uh, how long this outage will last as well as what caused it. That's it for Grand Divisions this week. As always, thanks for tuning in. You can find us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are produced by John Garcia and Erica Whitney. Uh, programming note, normally we try to have an end-of-year uh, break, but we are not doing that this year uh, because we've got a lot of good episodes coming up, including a year-end review with lots of reporters that you're going to want to check out. Uh, so stay tuned, and uh, we will be back next week at our usual time and date. As always, thanks for listening. I'm Joel Ebert. And I'm Natalie Allison. See you next week.